This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Joe Ben, what an awesome entrepreneur. So Joe is the first of our UK-based interviewees, and his story is one which I found super interesting. Joe is the co-founder and co-CEO of Ugly, the London-based flavoured sparkling water with no sugar, no sweetener, no calories, and absolutely nothing artificial. Ugly is, of course, known for its phenomenal branding and is stocked throughout the UK in some of the biggest household name department stores, including Selfridges & Co and Whole Foods. I'm so excited to share with you all the conversation I had with Joe in London several months ago about his story and what it means to create something disruptive. So here it is. Joe. Welcome to the Peace Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, you know, I reached out to you uh, over LinkedIn, actually, when I searched for millennial entrepreneurs based in London who are really just killing it. And of course you popped up. So, you know, when I came across your profile and really started looking into your brand, Ugly, I was super intrigued. Um, you know, as we were saying prior to this, you know, we don't have anything like this in Australia. So it was super cool for me to read about. And obviously I wanted to find out more. Um, but before we go into Ugly and your work, I want to start with a question that I often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Cool. Um, so I grew up in what well, actually just outside of a town called Bristol in the southwest uh, of the UK. Um, and I guess it's quite like a, it's like small enough to be not London, but it's big enough to not be a tiny, tiny town. Um, and that gave it like an interesting dynamic. But it's very, I would say it's quite like culturally relevant. There's a lot of musicians and artists that come out of Bristol. And it's just a good place to grow up, kind of like that, that mix between like being in a city, I went to school in the city, but I kind of grew up a little bit in the countryside, just outside. Um, and certainly, yeah, just, I felt also my my family are from London. So I always had the exposure of London. I was always visiting relatives and things like that. And therefore I had, there was like a real draw. London had a draw to me. I was like, that's where fun stuff happens. And then I go back to Bristol. Um, and so really at the first possible opportunity when I went to university, I, I uh, moved to London. Mm. So let's talk about that experience there. So you went to the University College of London and I found it fascinating what you studied. Um, So anthropology. So, you know, why did you pick this to study and kind of where did your interest in this come from? Uh, Yeah, I think it really came almost as a a result of what I 
hadn't been interested in maybe at school. Um, I was one of those people who I didn't find school particularly difficult, um, but I wasn't super challenged by it. And that was really frustrating for me. So I would probably, f I would find myself going down like crazy rabbit holes, researching things that like I wasn't going to get any grades for just because I was interested in them. Um, so when it came to choosing a subject to study at university, um, I just knew I didn't want to do all of the things that I'd done at school. Um, and anthropology, uh, I guess that my, my family teased me and say it was just at the top of the list al alphabetically, but um, actually, <laughs> I, I, just, I just really like the fact that it seems so all encompassing. So, um, you know, I could really take it down any route I wanted, the anthropology of, and then you say any word you want. You're like the anthropology of offices, the anthropology of uh, like drigs, and, and it's all relevant. So for me, it was about not kind of closing too many doors off, um, allowing myself to actually go down paths I was really interested in. Um, I guess like having done the degree now and come out the other side, the argument could be, it doesn't actually open that many either. Um, but what it did allow me to do uh, personally was I realized when I was at university, like I wasn't normal in terms of like the way I saw food and drink. Um, a lot of people at university, they, you know, they're, they're on crazy budgets. They're just trying to survive. They're spending like pennies a day on beans on toast. Um, <clears throat> and my, I was just not able to do that. Like I was spending all my, my money on food and drink uh, and then like not buying any clothes or not, buy, you know, not buying books because food and drink was important to me. Um, and so that was when I came out of university, I, I realized that was not normal and maybe I should pursue a, a path that was in line with that. Mm, super interesting. Um, and I could completely identify with that. Um, recently finished up some studies in North of England and um, yes, it is true. Everyone just wants to go for the Gregs and the, the, the quick, you know, quick fix and, you know, but, um, yeah, I'm one of those culprits of, you know, I need to have something good to eat and something nice to drink. So that's, that's really interesting there, but I guess what did you, what was kind of, I, obviously that was a main thing that you learned about yourself at uni. What was there another kind of thing that stuck out to you? Maybe an entrepreneurial spirit or an interest in business that kind of came out of that? Yeah, for sure. I think um, particularly on the course I was on, there was a lot of people who were there for incredible reasons in terms of um, charitable work. Um, NGO work is like an obvious route to go down once you've studied anthropology. Um, and as much as I think that's incredible and it really um, interests me, uh, I always did have this slightly more kind of business, um, entrepreneurial street to me um, was always the kind of kid when I was like little who would be like hey like look how many people have walked in this restaurant in the last 10 minutes they must be making so much money um, and so uh, again I kind of I realized what I what made me similar to the people on my course and what made me very different um, and so at that point realized that I, I did crave like more of like a business um, structure around me uh, I like the idea of kind of uh, setting targets and getting after them and growing something basically um, and so that yeah that's certainly something came out of it. Mm, sure. And how about this, you know, experience based in London? So obviously, you know, you said London was somewhat of a novelty and something that you always, you know, somewhere you always wanted to be. How was it like living there kind of obviously full time? Um, I, I think it was one of those things where I was used to it and it felt normal. And then when I would go to visit friends at other universities that were much more campus based uh, and they would be like, it's great. Everything is in this tiny area and we never have to leave. And I was like, this is weird. Um, and I, and I, I like struggled with like the fact that 
yeah, it was just everything was so easily put on for you at other universities. So personally, I, I found it to be normal. Um, mm, and it, okay. whenever friends would come and visit, I was always surprised by the fact that it wasn't. Um, yeah, I just loved, I liked the fact that there was so much going on um, and I wasn't constrained to just doing kind of university things. I could also um, get out and about and do whatever the city had to offer. Yeah, super cool. Okay. So I'd love to get into kind of after uni. So you said you kind of got this idea that, you know, you loved food and drink and you wanted to get into that industry. So I guess your first kind of experience um, that I could see was at Gometzi. Gometzi's. Yeah, Yeah, Gometzi's. There you go. Um, European, and you were a European food scout. Talk to us a bit about that role there. What did that role entail? And what was that first experience like out there in the real world, quote unquote? Cool. So the way it actually went down was I was going to, start uh, a deli straight out of uni mm-hmm. um so when growing up in bristol there was a deli i'll give him a little shout out it's called shandos deli uh, and it was just like this little deli in bristol that sold like really good quality food um and i just loved it because i'd been going since i was a kid and it was so different to the standard like supermarket experience um <clears throat> and the guy who ran it was really nice and he you know he, he would always like hey try this cheese try this meat you know like um so i just really liked the idea and the deeper I went into it and actually met the guy who ran Shandos Deli, uh, and he, he kind of just shook his head at me. He was like, dude, don't do it. Like it's, <laughs> it's so hard. Um, and so I kind of, I, I moved away from that, but I, I knew I wanted to be in that kind of space. And so it was actually quite fortunate where I was, I was just browsing for opportunities. I just graduated and I saw this role come up at a company called Gourmetis. Um, it was a startup business uh, and it was probably ahead of its time. It was, uh, the idea was they were going to source incredible food from across Europe and sell it to a market in the UK online. Um, there was a girl called Laura who started it um, and it hadn't even launched yet. It was pre-launch and I was, well, they, she was interviewing for the first employee. Uh, and I saw this role. It was like European food scout, uh, travel around Europe, <laughs> find food, eat it and blog about it. And I was like, that doesn't sound like a job. Um, And so I went for this interview with the mentality of just uh, like, I need to get this job. Um, And we met and we chatted and it was a very kind of casual interview um, where we spoke purely about our interest in food rather than anything else. And at the end of the interview, she turned around and kind of said, well, look, I have like I've had like 200 applicants and I've got these interviews lined up. She, she kind of said, Oh, that felt really good. And like, <laughs> how would you feel if I just offered it to you now? And I was like, wow. I feel great. Um, <laughs> wow. So that's what happened. And, and I, I started the role. I'll be honest. I'm pretty sure my, my friends and family thought I was lying <laughs> and that I'd like <laughs> pretended I'd got this job so I could go traveling. <laughs> I was like, yeah, they're paying for it. Um, and I think it was only when they started seeing kind of like the, uh, some of the blog stuff that they, they actually believed me um and it was really interesting because it would there was there was almost no structure i was like sent to europe to to find people um and it was on the one hand really difficult on the other hand um really interesting and i was spending like two three days in porto and two three days in lisbon and then was going across into spain and (coughs) i was just moving constantly for about two and a half months um and then uh, I guess, uh, unfortunately, um, the sort of uh, the business model wasn't getting the traction that Laura wanted it to, um, which is understandable. I think it was a really kind of stretching um, thing <laughs> yes. to try and do. Uh, and and the challenge being, of course, like if you if you've been to 
the south of Italy and tried this incredible olive oil and you'd been on holiday, then it meant something to you because you'd been there. And so you would spend 20 pounds on it. But if you were just going onto a website and seeing a 20 pound Italian bottle of olive oil, it didn't necessarily have any kind of, uh, it didn't mean anything to you. Um, and so that was kind of maybe where it, where it fell down. But Laura was really smart in terms of how she structured it. She wasn't all in on it. She still had a full-time job. It was just something she was trialing. So off the back of that, um, she decided not to kind of go fully live with the business, um, which made sense. Uh, and I could totally see that. And what I then kind of got out of it was um, I'd had an incredible time. Uh, but also I was exhausted because I've been traveling the whole time and I really kind of wanted something. I wanted to get into like a brand because I felt the power of brands at that, at that time. Um, and so what happened is I, um, I kind of looked at the market for the brand that I wish I worked for. And at that time it was, uh, it was innocent, the kind of juice and smoothie brand. Um, but I also felt like that brand was too far along. So I would be going in as the 40th, 50th employee. Um, and I really wanted to get in much earlier than that. So then I was, then I was looking for the next one, um, which is where I came across uh, Vitacoco um, as a potential opportunity. Mm. Very cool. Okay. So see, I just I kind of want to backtrack a little bit back into that travel that you did. So, I mean, something that I found, you know, obviously through my travels is you do kind of – get this gainly sense of like self and like you clarity, I could say. Um, did you, obviously you did gain clarity. Is, was there a sense of like better understanding of who you, you were through that, those three months? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, it, there were times when it was really difficult because I wasn't by any means like bawling. I wasn't on a crazy budget. I was staying in like hostels and things like that. And there was obviously these difficult moments where I'm there like, you know, like uh, two hours out of Lisbon. Uh, I've like got off a, a, a bus on a motorway and I'm trying to find the guy who makes this incredible pastry. And I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, why am I here? Um, how did I get myself in this position? Um, and there was like, there was a number of those moments. And I think for me, what I learned doing that was, uh, I was kind of fine with it. Like I would challenge myself and be and ask my, myself why I was there and, and if I was doing the right thing. But, you know, I wasn't like, you know, breaking down in tears on the side of the road or anything like that. I kind of enjoyed the fact it was a little bit, um, it was really difficult and it was a bit ridiculous and I really had to kind of make it happen myself. Um, there was no one at all that, that could help me other than myself. Um, so I definitely, I, I think I learned a lot from, from that. Mm, sure. So you said you learned how to make it happen. So how did you make Vita Coco happen? <laughs> this section, uh, I call it the Vita Coco saga of your uh, life. And, uh, you know, what did that first experience, you know, going into figuring out that you wanted to be there and then how did you make that happen? Yeah, so <clears throat> the way it actually went down was uh, I interviewed for another company, um, another food and drink company, and I was really excited about it. It was a tea brand, um, and it went really well. And they offered me the job, and then um, at the kind of uh, the last minute, he said, hey, would you mind meeting one of my investors? Because, you know, I value his opinion, and it would be great if you could meet him. Um, <clears throat> so I said, yeah, of course. Um, and I ended up having a, a conversation with this guy who happened to be um, the CEO of Vitacoco. And when we chatted... 
maybe a little bit sneakily, he was like, hey, uh, actually, um, I have this other thing. Uh, and and I had I had already been kind of, I'd actually already emailed Vitacoco previously. I kind of liked what they were about. Um, and so it was just like, a, I guess, part luck, part judgment that I was in the space where I could could kind of put myself in, in the mix to, to, to work there. And I joined as the second kind of full-time employee. Um, it was kind of very early days when, to be honest, everybody was like, what the hell is coconut? water it tastes gross it's really expensive the packaging is weird um and so it was very early days and we were like a tiny team based in fulham um and then i guess early days what was uh what what kind of really helped me was um at first you know i had the attitude of cool i'm up for anything i'll make this happen what do you need me to do um they said, get out there and sell it. I was like, okay, cool. So I would like, you know, walk out every morning with my backpack full of drinks uh, and I would just go and see cafes and coffee shops and convenience stores. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> same, same thing I do now. Um, and kind of pitch them the business. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it would go well and other times it wouldn't. Um, you know, and I was kind of doing it for a month or two um, and it felt fine and I liked the people I work with. Uh, but then I had, uh, they were they were kind enough to fly me out to New York and Vitacoco was an American business. So whilst in London, it was tiny. Uh, they had this kind of uh, five, six year old business in the US that was already like pumping. And so going out there and actually really seeing what was possible, I kind of came back with my eyes open. I was like, oh, like this, this can happen now. Um, and I think that's such a key part of anything. It's like once you believe you can do something, you can do it. Um, and I think, yeah, from that moment on, I kind of always felt like we will make this happen in the UK. And there was a lot of people who would along the way say, no, it's never going to work. It, the, you know, the taste is too weird. Um, but I think as a team, you know, the team grew uh, and uh, particularly those first like 10 hires at Vitacoco, um, you know, we all had so much faith in each other's ability to make it happen. Um, and that's why we were able to build it, I think, quickly and in a really kind of exciting way. Yeah, of course. Wow. Okay. So what I find super interesting about your story so far is the fact that these opportunities you've gotten have been really just you getting in a room with someone who's like a CEO or something, and then just almost pitching yourself to them to the point where they want you to be the second employee of their company ever. Like that's pretty phenomenal. How do you do that? Like what strategies can you give us? You know, how is it that you can just kind of put aside the fact that this person's a CEO or the head of or whatnot and kind of just allow like kind of your real self to put your real self forward? How, what strategies could you give us? I think, um, for me personally, mm. uh, it's, it all comes down to if I have a genuine interest for the thing I'm talking about. I really don't think I would be able to go in and pitch to work for like a huge oil company <laughs> because like I don't believe in that. But when I actually am passionate about something and I really do want to be involved, hopefully that comes through. And I think that's just so important as someone who now is em employing people. Um, you know, I, I value kind of energy and enthusiasm so highly, maybe much more highly in a way com compared to uh, just experience. Um, because I, I, you know, I, I at Vitacoco, I realized like Giles, who was the CEO, was very experienced. He, he kind of seemed to know what he was doing. So I felt like, cool, I'm here. I'm happy to learn. And, uh, you know, I wasn't walking in saying, I'm going to grow your business 10x, you know, give me the <laughs> range. I was walking in saying, look, like I'm here to learn. Tell me what you want me to do uh, and help me do it. And I think that he appreciated that. And and uh, that's how we start to get some traction. Yeah. 
Very interesting. So talk to me a bit about that progression there. Um, so obviously you said you went in second employee ever. Amazing. Um, and then you kind of built your way up. I think you were at this company for a couple of years. Almost four. Yeah. yeah, a couple of years. So talk to me a bit about, let's just say maybe, you know, after the first two years, where were you guys at there? You know, you said that this idea of cocoa water, uh, cocoa coconut water in general (laughs) was just so foreign to the UK. And now, you know, it's it's back home. Everyone loves it. How did you get there? How did you guys get there? I think it was, it was just a really clear strategy in terms of we knew it wasn't for everyone. And so there was no point trying to give it to everyone straight away. Um, But what we did was we found our niches where we knew people would be receptive to the product. Um, So we went hard after like hot yoga studios because we realized really early it's like we can sell in a case to a convenience store and it'll take a month to sell but wait like these people are coming out of like Bikram yoga studios like dripping in sweat like desperate to hydrate and they're already like very healthy people who eat natural foods and we realized we could sell 60 cases in a month in one Bikram yoga studio and so it was just that focus of okay there are you know uh, 20 Bikram yoga studios in the UK we have to be stocked in all of them Um, and kind of going through kind of just logically in that way uh, same way that we would look at say um, health shops so you know we knew that in a Whole Foods or a Planet Organic um, we could do again like 20 times what we could do in a kind of normal shop uh, and so we would put so much resource into activating those accounts making sure that Viacoco was everywhere mm. there was like stacks of it um, and just being a brand that people couldn't miss and I think we all felt that coconut water was something that although it was a difficult kind of first step is almost like a there's like a a saturation moment when you've had it third fourth time or you keep seeing it or your friend keeps talking about it where suddenly it becomes kind of normalized and something you're used to and that was the kind of the technique so we wanted it to be like you know you'd, you'd grab a coffee before work and it would be in the coffee shop and it's like what is that stuff and then you get to work and it was in the office canteen and you're like ah like what is it and you'd go to the gym at lunchtime and it would be in there <laughs> and and kind of we're just breaking you down like we will we will find you eventually um and and that's kind of how we approached it and I think it worked and we also had a really strong kind of like brand marketing play um, where we were putting it you know we were supporting like the coolest events uh, and giving it to kind of influential people and with coconut water in particular there was definitely an element of like kind of celebrity and um, you know people like Madonna and Rihanna were drinking it and it just kind of helped Um, but we built it that way and there was real real focus on like distribution just getting it out there initially and then over the kind of uh, over the, the the first couple of years, it changed. So instead of being this crazy kind of like health product, suddenly it kind of took on a different role where people were starting to think about sugar more. They were drinking less juice, um, and and suddenly the big supermarkets were going, "Well, this thing is selling like crazy elsewhere. Uh, it's got a really high price point, which they liked. Um, so let's sell this instead of maybe some of the orange juice." Um, and so suddenly we had much better distribution. It was available elsewhere. We were able to spend more money on the marketing, and we kind of were able to kind of boost the usage occasions of coconut water um so people started using it in smoothies and and things like that as opposed to how they'd been drinking it previously um and really over that four-year period the team grew and grew so yeah when i joined i was the second employee and when i left there was probably around 60 employees across europe wow okay. um, obviously changed a huge amount in that time in terms of how it felt to be there um kind of uh, inevitably lost a little bit of the kind of like punchy startup attitude um as as they had to 
grow. Um, and my role developed from uh, essentially like a field sales intern uh, at the very beginning to I was running like the out of home team. So like all non grocery sales, um, basically. So I was I was fortunate, I suppose, that I was exposed to like a lot of different elements of the business uh, of the sales side of things um, and therefore felt like well positioned to, to, to do my own thing. Um, and then I think the most important thing for me is met Hugh, my co-founder of Ugly at Vitacoco. Wow. Okay. Very, very cool. So I guess there's so many questions that kind of come out of that, but I guess the top one is what were kind of the two main takeaways or three main takeaways? You know, you said that you got exposed to so many areas and facets of the business, which I can only imagine. You were there for a substantial amount of time and you were really kind of, you know, at the heart of it really. So what were kind of maybe the top three takeaways that you brought on to, to found your ugly today? Um, so I think one for sure was just the kind of build it and they will come attitude. Um, I think where you can easily fall down is going, uh, I don't know if people are ready for this. I'm not quite sure. The reality is if you keep putting it out there and executing, then people will find it. Um, and they did that very well at Vitacoco. Um, there was always this belief of we just keep doing what we're doing and it works. It totally worked. And I personally had friends who, you know, when I joined, I'd be like, dude, do you want me to send you some coconut water? They're like, no, it's gross. <laughs> and then like a year later, they were messaging me like, come on, like, hit me up. Um, and I and and you feel that you feel that momentum, which I think I guess leads me on to the second one, which was uh, which is team. Um, we had an incredible team in the kind of early years, and I think if you look at where some of that team has gone now and what they're doing, a lot of them are doing really interesting things, um, which kind of kind of shows that. But. Um, yeah, we all kind of, it was that moment of, um, you know, when you looked around at 7.30 p.m. and half half the office was still there, it felt great. You kind of felt like, okay, cool. Like everybody wants this to happen. Everyone feels invested in it. Um, and it wasn't just a kind of, uh, there was no, there was no um, kind of falseness to it. No one was like trying to get promoted. And it wasn't like a big corporate machine like that. People just really cared about what they did. And so certainly with Ugly, that's something that's carried through. We have an awesome team and, and uh, it's massively important to us um and i think the third thing is from vitagogo is uh you don't always have to take the easy route like it was a very difficult product in a way to sell um and brand to build um but in a way it was the the difference of coconut water and vitagogo that made it so incredible um and allowed it to build and kind of it had this um disruption in market that, you know, if we'd just been doing, a, you know, a, a, a nice tasting drink, like it, it wasn't the same. And so it was the fact that we would get those articles written about us like, oh, like coconut water is the grossest thing since like, you know, it, it made people think about it and talk about it. And everyone had an opinion. Um, and that certainly, again, has come through. You can probably tell in the name with uh, with Ugly. Um, you know, we haven't chosen the easy route, but we've chosen to try and make people kind of feel something. Um, that was that's the idea. Mm. Love that. OK, cool. So obviously I want to get into Ugly. So let's just start right from the start. So you said that obviously, you know, you met Hugh, your co-founder, whilst you're still at Vita Coco, you know, how did this idea come about? You know, how did you know that you had to go off and pursue it? 
Um, I think we were just, we were so exposed to the food and drink industry and we loved it so much that you start to see certain things coming through. Um, and personally, someone who was pitching bars the whole time, they kept saying to me like, Joe, you, uh, it's really difficult right now. Like we're looking for products that don't have sugar in and we're not sure about artificial sweeteners, but like there's nothing there. And you kind of keep hearing it and like walking away going, ah, and then because you and I are both, I think just, well, we're, we're quite nerdy on food and drink. We're always kind of reading about what's happening in other markets. Um, and we were sort of hanging out in like in stores on the weekend, picking up products, wondering what was out there. Um, and it just became really obvious that there was an opportunity. Um, we asked ourselves just like a super simple question. It was like, if you can't, if you don't want to drink um, sugar and you don't want to drink sweetener, what can you drink? The answer at that moment was just water. Um, and so we then kind of challenged ourselves to go, how could we make water more exciting, both in terms of flavor, but also um, the brand experience? Because previously, I mean, almost all bottled waters tend to be kind of provenance led. There's mountains um, and, you know, they all they all look the same. Um, and there's no if you look at other kind of categories, like you look at fizzy drinks like there's all these strong brand personalities or you look at like ice cream like it's all exciting and water's just like plastic bottle mountain that's it um so we felt like there was a massive opportunity and also um you know we felt like the the cause behind it all which was you know the health of the nation is not in a great place um people you know have um unfortunately diseases like diabetes and obesity these days and we would love to do something about that so um challenging kind of the the sugar intake and challenging um the big boys and i think that's another part of it hugh and i our, our personalities we kind of we've always liked that slightly uh rebellious like disruptive positioning um and so the idea of taking on like coca-cola or pepsi is is super exciting to us yeah so cool <laughs> so cool i always love hearing how these because i mean right now just for everyone listening um joe is sitting here covered head to toe in his brand you know we've got the cap going on the jumper we've got you know cans of, of ugly which look like pet peps you know it's this i know what you're saying now in terms of your competitors um they, they do look super cool the branding's so out there and so i just love hearing like kind of how it all started um so what were some of the early challenges you faced so obviously going out there you're wanting to tackle these huge like household names and you guys are really like ambitious and you want to try and do this thing do some good as well like what were some of the early challenges um, I think for us, for sure, there was a challenge in that we were doing this whilst we were still employed at Vitagogo and mm. a potentially competitive um, business. <laughs> and so be problematic. Um, that <laughs> certainly slowed us down in that we were being very kind of careful. Um, we obviously didn't want it to be disrespectful to Vitagogo. So, um, you know, before we spoke to anyone, we had to make sure that there was kind of um, NDAs in place and things like that. And therefore it took us longer. Like when we first had the idea, we figured like, ah, six months will be good to go. And really it took us about 18 months from initial kind of concept to, to kind of um, getting a product to market. So we were working on it um, kind of in the evenings and the weekend. Um, we went to a, the first question was like, can we make the liquid? So we went to a, like a flavor house basically with a product developer um, and kind of asked him how we'd do it. And we realized that we could use um, essences and extracts and aromas from fruit to, in small quantities, put them in the water um, and get this kind of subtle flavor um, without kind of uh, affecting the nutritional content which is the idea then once we felt confident we had the liquid we began talking about the brand um 
And I think, yeah, we kind of realized very early there was two routes. Like one route would be go the kind of the safe route um, and call this product something like um, well water or <laughs> splash water, you know, like, oh, wellness and, and water. <laughs> and actually, we just felt like, number one, is that really going to cut through? And number two, like, is that us? Like, is that what we want to be doing for the next five, 10 years? Um, so then we kind of decided on this like disruptive route and we had loads of crazy names. Um, and then ugly was one that for some reason it just kind of like stuck. Um, we were talking about the project as kind of like ugly as a holding name, like, Oh, we'll just call it ugly for now. Uh, and actually it's just kind of worked. Um, and so we started to develop the brand around the liquid, um, and in the end, uh, and I should say that initially, um, you know, we've taken, as always, we've taken lots of twists and turns along the route. So initially the product was a little bit different. It was a, a bottle of uh, still water, um, which was flavored. Um, and the idea being that we would challenge some of the conventional flavored waters in market. Um, we ended up launching that product um, in June 2015. And then we had a couple of um, kind of production issues on it. Um, so it was a kind of horrible moment where we kind of felt like all the hard work we put in, like, you know, it, it was all up in the air for a second. Um, but we still felt kind of completely committed to the to the challenge. Um, and so we decided to slightly reposition things instead of kind of uh, moaning too much about the fact that we'd had an issue. Um, we uh, we kind of saw it as like a perfect soft launch. Um, you know, what lessons could we take from this? And there was a few things that came out, um, I guess, the three main things being Number one is a lot of people will said, oh, can you guys do a sparkling version? Like, I wish I could drink this instead of Diet Coke, but it's not quite the same having a bottle. Um, the second was we we didn't love the fact we were in plastic bottles. It didn't quite kind of fit with our brand ethos. Um, and we were already starting to see, even at that point, some kind of early signs that people were thinking differently about plastic bottles. So uh, Selfridges, which was our first ever retailer, they had banned plastic bottles. Um, and so we were aware of that. And I think the third thing was that Everybody loved our positioning and the fact we were called ugly and the fact that we were doing things differently. And the first product wasn't as bold as what you see now. And so we wanted to kind of ramp that up. So we decided quite quickly after um, that first launch that we were going to tweak it um, and then spent six months working on that uh, whilst consulting for a few other businesses in order to kind of just keep the money coming in, um, other food and drink businesses. And, and we were able to relaunch ugly in cans in uh, January 2016. Wow, I, I love hearing about the progression. It's so it's so interesting. But one thing I do I do want to know more about is you know you said that you know once you'd launched it in in bottles, you kind of it was wasn't you didn't consider it a failure, but it was kind of like ah oh, damn, it's not kind of not hundred percent what we want. How do you get past kind of these really like maybe like intense challenges that you just kind of think all my work's been kind of not amounted to what I wanted it to be. You know, how do you get through that? It was actually um, kind of a crazy coincidence that um, Hugh was reading a book before this happened. Uh, it's called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, um, who's a really interesting dude. Um, but basically it's a book about stoicism and how you overcome obstacles in life and you should see them as opportunities. Um, and so I can't pretend that like we had the issue and he <laughs> turned around and was like, hey dude, you know we should just do this. Uh, it was much more kind of emotional and dramatic than that. We had a, we shouted at each other for a couple hours. and um, uh, But actually... Um, 
because because we were already beginning to think in that way and we've been kind of reading those kind of books for a while and listening to podcasts um we kind of gave ourselves a bit of thinking time and we're able to step back um and actually, I think that book is, has become like an incredibly influential book on our journey. The team will laugh at us because like the obstacle is the way is like become the catchphrase in a way. Oh, um, and I think that. it's like it's written on the wall of the oh. ugly office um, because, yeah, it was a really kind of difficult challenge um, that we were able to get through. Um, and a couple of the t- so we're a team of six now, but two of those guys have been with us from the beginning, even from before that issue. And so they kind of stuck with us through that um, and uh yeah i think it's it's that kind of essentially learning from others um we've we've always had kind of huge amounts of help from people along the way and realized how generous people are with their advice and their time and hopefully try and pay that back to other people as well love it learning so much so good um so I'd love to talk about kind of where we're at now with Ugly. So, you know, you guys are huge in the UK, just for everyone listening, whether you're, you know, from Melbourne, wherever, US. Um, Ugly is stocked in huge department stores like um, Selfridges and Co. here in London, Whole Foods, it's available on Amazon. You know, you guys are stocked in in many other grocers and and department stores around the UK. You know, how do you get from this initial idea, this kind of, you know, obviously this struggle you had to go through and then to what you guys are today? how does that feel like and how did you how did you do that i i mean i think look from our perspective we're definitely not huge yet we're we're doing pretty well we're we're, we're kind of growing it um but i think we're now in a really exciting place where we felt like what we needed to do first is kind of prove concept here like we had an idea that made so much sense it's a, a fizzy drink uh that doesn't have sugar and sweetener in uh it we felt like it was in kind of in tune with uh what like a millennial consumer is looking for these days there was kind of all these ticks but we have to show that it actually worked in market so when we launched the cans um that was what it was all about it was like put it into the places where we think we can um kind of do some damage and reach our consumers um and then show it works and people like whole foods were really supportive of that they kind of like what we were about and we supported them so we would go in and we would sample and just talking to consumers is usually the best way of um gauging feedback so we did loads of samplings as a team um I think in our first year, we did about 300 samplings between the four of us at the time Um, and just began to build it that way um, to put ourselves in a position where we could then take all those learnings um, and we've actually slightly rebranded. So what you would have seen in January uh, 2016 is a little bit different um, to to the kind of brand we have today. So the brand is now four flavors. Um, So we do like a lemon and lime. We do a tropical, we do a triple berry and an orange. Um, Blueberry is the best, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, we repositioned it in August. So um, what we f- what we realized is there was a few issues around, um, you know, did people really understand what the liquid is because it comes in a can? Are they going to expect it to be sweet? Do people really understand why we're called ugly? And we just wanted to kind of hone in on all those things that, that we could that we kind of felt uh, represented our brand and make sure that our consumers understood them too. And so it's been really exciting since then. Um, we've seen like incredible growth since August, since we put the new stuff into market. Um, people are responding really well to it. We have this new position 
positioning, uh, which we kind of, um, it's, a, it's certainly an evolution of what we already have, but it's much clearer to us now. Um, so we stand for the ugly truth, really. Um, and that kind of manifests itself in two ways. On the one hand, it's about our position in the market in terms of a drink. Um, you know, we don't, we're not necessarily an anti-sugar brand. Um, we understand everyone wants a treat every now and then, but we are certainly a pro-transparency brand. And we think there's a lot of products and brands out there which are misleading, um, and that's really dangerous. And so we kind of try and take that positioning in market. On the other side of things, um, we now live in this crazy world. Um, we had, uh, in the UK, we had Brexit, and there was a lot of kind of uh, controversy around kind of the fake news associated with that. In the US, you have Trump. And I think, again, particularly a kind of millennial consumer group, they're just really frustrated with that kind of lack of authenticity. Um, and so in the wider world, well, that's what we want to stand for. We want to kind of always tell it how it is. Um, we're not going to sugarcoat it. We're not going to, we never talk about any of the f kind of, um, we, we're never going to say that we help you get fit in the gym or we're going to make you beautiful, anything like that. It's just, we are what we are. It's a flavor sparkling water. Hopefully it tastes delicious. Hopefully you love the brand. That's it. Like it's not, it doesn't have magic powers. Yeah. Love <clears throat> it. You've nailed that. Um, perfect. So that brings me to, you know, my second last question here. But before I get onto that, I just want to like appreciate the work that you've done. You guys are just killing it. And it's an awesome kind of initiative that you've taken. Um, and I do hope, you know, it comes to Australia. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm so excited to see where this does go. So I do want to um, congratulate you on that. Thanks. <laughs> of course. Um, so second last question today is what does it feel like to be a young entrepreneur who's on their own time, who's, you know, running their own ship um, with their own team and just doing some awesome stuff in the world? Like, what does that feel like? I mean, I think um, probably an unsurprising answer here, but like in the good times, it feels incredible. And, you know, I feel really lucky when I, uh, you know, I see loads of guys in like suits kind of with dreary faces on in the morning and I don't get that feeling at all. Um, and I think, again, it's all about kind of team. And I'm really lucky to have an incredible co-founder in Hugh and an awesome team around me who motivate me all the time. Um, and on the other hand, it is really difficult at times. Um, and I think particularly the kind of uh, the expectations that are on you from friends and family and other people in the industry. Um, the reality is like it's never easy and it's and you have these kind of really difficult moments. Um, and of course, what most people see from the outside is like, you're crushing it. It's amazing. Like you guys are doing so well. Uh, and it's kind of difficult because you, <laughs> you know, you don't want to talk about necessarily all the challenges, but they're always there. Um, and just kind of keeping that um, sort of uh, positivity can obviously be a challenge at times. Um, but again, I think like the, yeah, the, the sort of the support team around you is, is super important. And I think in the UK food and drink scene in particular, there's like an amazing culture of um, people helping each other out and people kind of supporting each other. We feel like super privileged to be part of that. Um, and uh, again, like try and help other people as much as possible within that scene. So that leads on perfectly to our last question today, um, which is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peace Project. And that is, what do you think is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I mean, I think it's, it's everything. Um, I feel obviously incredibly privileged to be in a position where I can do it. Um, and I think, uh, 
yeah, for, for, for Hugh and I, we're at an age now where we felt like what's we, ha why would we not take risks? Um, you know, we're, we're not married, we don't have kids, we don't have mortgages at this point. Like this is the time to do it. Um, and like, I've, you know, even if the, the worst happened and ugly didn't work, like, I don't think I would ever regret anything about this we've learned so much we've met so many incredible people um of course like we strongly believe it's going to work and we're so driven to making that happen um but yeah just like it's it's everything and it's what makes you feel kind of alive in the morning and what motivates you um and i think apart from anything else um you just you you meet incredible people when you do that um there's so many people i feel in the last kind of uh three years since ugly's kind of really been out there publicly um that i've met because of ugly who i now count as my closest friends or um really inspiring kind of uh mentors um who i would never have met if i kind of stayed within a, a company setup sure. perfect well Thanks so much, Joy. So appreciate it. And um, this is this conversation has been so thought-provoking and, and thrilling as I thought it would be. Um, so where can people learn more about uh, you and Ugly? Cool. So um, definitely check out our website. Um, it's We're actually tweaking it in early January, but it's still good. Uh, just uglydrinks.com. Um, social media is just at uglydrinks. So that's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and you can kind of uh, follow what we're all up to. Um, if you're based in the UK, then obviously you can find us in stores. You can go on our own web shop. Um, you can go on Amazon to buy ugly. Um, but we'd love to see people, you know, even if, uh, even if you're based in Australia we'd love to see people kind of I would love to hear what people think of the brand and we'd love to see people interacting with it that would be incredible mm. love that perfect and for everybody listening we'll end with that Piers that's a wrap thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Piers to Piers podcast we hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.